0: Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is so good to be back, uh, to be able to see all of you and uh, catch up with you over the past two weeks. I texted Glenn on Monday. I said, that is the last time I'm going to Utah on a vacation. Uh, It seems everything that could go wrong actually went wrong, uh, but it is good to be back with you all this morning to be able to worship, to be able to open up God's Word together, uh, and to be able to hear His Word. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're going to pick up our study uh, that we've been working through over the past several weeks uh, in this uh, wonderful, uh, rich, short, um, packed book. Uh, That is Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3, looking at verses 14 through 21. 14 through 21 in Ephesians 3. If you would read along with me. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... Not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we come humbled before you, thankful and expectant uh, that we get to sit under your word. I could never, ever preach a sermon that could fully exhaust your glory, that could fully exhaust the depth and the riches of your word. And yet here I stand this morning attempting and praying and asking that you would bless this attempt, bless the preaching of your word, uh, bless those who hear your word preached. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, in the next few minutes, we would be satisfied with what you have said. We would be satisfied with the bread of heaven that you've provided for us. Lord, so Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, I appreciate over the past several days all the texts and kind words and the prayers that my wife and I received from each and every single one of you. Uh, It was a blessing, and it it made it all the more easier and eager for me to want to come back and just to be able to uh, catch up with all of you, be able to worship with you, uh, and to uh, be able to preach. So your prayers were um, very much appreciated and coveted, and so I thank you for that. Uh, as we uh, continue to recover. Uh, If you're just joining us this morning, if you've never been here, or perhaps you haven't been here in a couple weeks, and uh, you haven't been with us in the book of Ephesians for a little while, I figured it would be a good idea to go ahead and play a little bit of catch up. Uh, it's, it's, there's nothing worse than walking into the middle of a movie and trying to figure out all that's happened and where all everything is going, since you haven't seen the first 45 minutes of it. So I figured the same uh, with a dense, rich, packed book like Ephesians. If you're just uh, showing up, uh, then I figured it would be good to go ahead and do a little bit of a recap before getting into um, our verses here this morning. Uh, so when we began the book of Ephesians, I had mentioned uh, that Ephesians is a circular letter. Uh, meaning that there's no particular single church that Paul was writing it to. It was actually a group of churches in Asia Minor uh, that this book would have been addressed to. And uh, just as there is no particular church that Paul has in mind, uh, there's no particular purpose that he's writing the book of Ephesians for, uh, meaning that there is no false teaching he's necessarily correcting. Uh, there is no particular church discipline that's needing to be addressed or situation that's happening within the church, uh, the churches of Ephesus. He's simply writing Writing to the church, um, to write to the church. They're reminding the churches in that area of the riches of the gospel and all the benefits they have in Christ. And I also noted when we started this book that uh, this is a, a book that has a high view. Of the church. If you want to know the nature of the church, if you want to know uh, the importance and the significance of the church in God's redemptive plan with his people, go to the book of Ephesians. Uh, the book of Ephesians is a completely counterintuitive to our church culture today, which says I can be a Christian outside of the family of God. And so I, I chose to go through Ephesians uh, this summer because I want I think more than ever uh, the people of God need to know the significance and the value that God places on the family. uh, Places on his children. uh, And that part of being saved means being saved into a family. uh, Being saved into a body. Being saved into a new society. And so the past three messages... Uh, have been entitled New Society, uh, and this will be part three. So we began our study in the book of Ephesians uh, with basically saying in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, that salvation was entirely of God. We looked at from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, from electing adoption uh, to the uh, redemption one on the cross uh, to the sealing eternal security that we have in the Spirit. All of that has no part in us making any of that happen, but that was all on the initiative of God, and yet, while salvation is entirely of God, the salvation of God requires a response on our part, and the response is faith and trust, repentance of sin, uh, putting our trust in the one who won redemption for us, and then we looked after that in verses uh, 15 through uh, 23 in chapter 1, how have we been given this new life, And we are also called to continue to experience this new life. We looked at how Paul prays for the church that um, as their hearts have been changed and renewed, that their hearts would continue to be enlightened in chapter 1, verse uh, 17 uh, through 18, that they would continue to grow in this salvation, to grow into this new life that they've been given, and how Christianity doesn't stop at the entrance of the door that God brings you into, but you continue to grow into this and to experience God at deep, Deeper and deeper levels. And then we looked in chapter two. Uh, verses 1 through 12, we looked at uh, the works that we were saved by, we looked at the works that we were saved from, and the works that we were saved for. In other words, this new life is not only meant to be experienced, but to be actually lived out practically day to day. We looked at chapter 2, verses 10, where Paul writes, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we looked at the works of darkness we were saved out of, we were saved by the works of God, Uh, we were Saved for the works of the kingdom. And then we looked in head in verses 11 uh, through 22, and we looked at how Jesus was building his church. Uh, Paul outlines here that uh, Jesus is building his church through reconciling us to one another. And so he's taking groups from all different uh, backgrounds, all different people, all different nations, all different statuses in society. Uh, Whether you're uh, old or young or in between, he is bringing everybody from different backgrounds and unifying them in the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross. And not only is he reconciling both Jew and Gentile, um, everybody who would come from different backgrounds together, he's reconciling. Reconciling all of us to God, so that restoring the relationship between uh, creator and created. And so we looked at, that's how Jesus is building his church, and Jesus is not building his church on anyone else's preferences, but on the second person of the Trinity being the Son. And so we looked at that, Uh, and then the last time I preached here, uh, we looked at Not only Jesus building his church, uh, but I stated that because Jesus is building his church and put us in the church, we should be active in the church. And we looked at why we should be active in the church rather than just spectators. And we looked and we we outlined uh, chapter 3, verses 1. Uh, through 13. Paul's activity in the life of the church promoted the unity of the church. It propagated the message of the gospel, and it positioned him in the uh, will of God, uh, in the plan of God. Uh, to uh, We looked at chapter 3, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known, made known to the rulers in the heavenly places And so we outlined uh, not only that Jesus was building his church, but we were called to be active in his church. And so that brings us to the message this morning, which is pray for your church. That's the point of verses 14 through 21. Pray for your church. You might ask, uh, well, what should I pray for my church? Or you might think, well, I have a bulletin. Uh, with a list of needs, with a list of people. And that's what I can be praying, or that's, or rather that's who I can be praying for in my church. But sometimes we're, we're left thinking, um, what should I pray for the person sitting next to me? What should I pray uh, specifically for the people on the bulletin? And while we have a bulletin filled with people and prayer requests, we also have a Bible that is filled with rich prayers for the saints that we can be praying for one another. We can be praying over ourselves. We can be praying for our families in the faith. And so this morning, I want us to to look at what we should be praying for the church. And when I say pray for your church, I don't mean pray for the building. Um, I don't mean praying for uh, the projects and the various ministries within the church, while that is good and well and has its place within the life of the church. When I say pray for your church, I mean pray for those who've been called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, praying for those who are part of the family of faith, praying for those who've been redeemed by Jesus and is your brother and sister in Christ, praying for one another. And so when I say pray for the church, I mean pray for the saints, pray for each other. So what should we pray for when it comes to praying for one another? Well, I think the first thing that we see here in Paul's prayer Is that uh, Paul prays that the church would be Christ centered, that they would be a Christ centered church? Look at uh, verses 14 through 17a. Paul begins for this reason. Now, he begins uh, this prayer with for this reason, but he's really picking up a thought that he had started in verse 1 of chapter 3, where Paul says for this reason. And then he kind of gets rabbit trailed into this uh, rehashing all of the gospel truths that he looked at uh, or he outlined in verses 11 through 22. And so when he says, for this reason, he's picking up that thought in verse 1. And the reason that Paul is praying this prayer now is because of all the work that Jesus has done to reconcile us to one another and to God. So the for this reason picks up the thought in verse 1, and it also referenced back to chapter 2, 11, verses uh, 11 through 22, about the reconciling work of Christ. And so he says, for this reason, because God has done such a wonderful work in all of you, Because Christ has won your redemption. Because Christ has brought us all together from all different backgrounds. He has done the very thing uh, that no political system can do, that no society or club can do, uh, that no uh, philosophy can do. Jesus, in his own self, in his own person, has brought together people from all backgrounds. And he has made them one, and he has made them family Towards one another. For this reason, Paul says, "Because the church is a beautiful, mysterious uh, group of people that God has won, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named." It's interesting that Paul begins his prayer for the Christ, uh, for the church to be Christ-centered, with uh, actually describing his posture here. Uh, This is actually a little, um, uh, nowhere else in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, do we see Paul actually uh, describing the posture in which he stands while he's praying. In fact, uh, bowing your knees in prayer would have been not the norm. Uh, for, uh, for 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 er- the early Christians or the even the uh, the Jewish uh, culture, uh, you would have been praying standing. Most of the parables that you see uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus is contrasting the two men who were praying in the synagogue, we have one man, the Pharisee, or the man who thought he was righteous in his own eyes. He's actually standing before God in prayer. They would have stood in the synagogues and praise. And yet Paul, while uh, while not common, says that he bows his knees before the Father. Now, the Scripture never uh, gives us a, a detailed instruction on a posture we should be praying in, right? The Bible never says you need to be on your knees while praying. Uh, you need to be in this position while praying. You have to get yourself into uh, this way. You can pray while driving. You can pray while standing. You can pray uh, just about any, in any way that you want to. But I think it's interesting to note that some prayers are so weighty and so significant and so important that they just drive you to your knees. We've all been there. And the reason why I wanted to highlight that in the beginning of Paul, uh, Paul's prayer because Paul, again, is praying for the people of God. It, evidently, Paul thought it was the people of God were so significant and so important and, and that this prayer that he's about to pray actually drove him to his knees. The weightiest prayer that Paul prays is actually for the people of God. And I think that's just important for us to know. Uh, when we're thinking about praying for one another, the value that the Bible puts on the people of God, the value that Paul put uh, when it comes to praying for the family of God. So while we don't have a requirement for prayer as far as posture is concerned, we can see here that the church is of vital importance for Paul and that his prayers consisted of God's people. Over and over and over again. You read in the New Testament there are a number of prayers that we can look to uh, and see. And then he continues and he says, "From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named." Uh, different translations translate this differently. Uh, some of your translations might say, "From uh, all, from whom all five fatherhood derives from." Um, it's really just a play on words here in verse 15 between family and father, since the Greek words, they, they sound familiar to one another. Uh, some, people, some commentators say that Paul is praying um, that doesn't matter where your family background is from, all family groups, all nations, all peoples are now brought into the family of God. And so this is sometimes looked at as a family prayer. And then he continues that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And here's, and here's our first prayer request here in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, Paul prays that the church would be a Christ-centered church, deeply rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Now, why would Paul pray for this? I don't know if the question rose in your mind as we were reading this, but I know as I was studying this, I was starting to think, why would Paul pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith? Because I thought that the Ephesians, the churches in Ephesus, were already in Christ. I thought they had already received Christ. Has, Has the church not already invited Jesus into their hearts by now? So why would Paul pray this seemingly redundant prayer that Christ may dwell in their hearts? Is Christ leaving? Uh, is he coming and going into the hearts of the saints, uh, based on uh, how well they're doing, based on how well their prayers are lately, how uh, based on uh, on their works? Well, I don't think uh, that Paul is trying to insinuate here that Christ can leave a believer's heart. But what I think Paul is uh, indicating here is that we have a tendency uh, to uh, we have a tendency to to push him out of our hearts, if you will. May I suggest that Paul prays not the prayer for them to be in Christ, which is a fixed reality, but that Christ might be more in them. That their hearts would stretch and grow and expand and deepen and make room for all Jesus is and for all that Jesus has asked. If you think about it, what Jesus asks as part of being his disciples, it's a pretty significant request, right? To be my disciple... Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Well, sometimes that's a little bit difficult, and that's not a one time. That's uh, not a one-time act in the Christian life. That's not you walked walk the aisle, you prayed with the pastor, you made a decision one Sunday. That decision is every single day. And that decision to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus, to submit yourself under the lordship of Jesus, actually requires your heart to continue to expand and deepen uh, in your understanding and in your knowledge of the lordship of Jesus. Right? So our hearts when we invite Jesus into them, if you will, and when we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, um, it is not as though our hearts are in complete uh, surrender to Jesus because that is an everyday discipleship decision. Right? That is an everyday process. Uh, uh, scripture refers to this as uh, sanctification, continuously growing and being shaped into the image of the Son, into the image of our Lord. The verb that Paul um, actually uses here for the word dwell is a strong one signifying a permanent In dwelling, rather than some temporary abode. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't, your your hearts, I don't want your hearts to be Airbnbs where God just kind of comes in, stays for a little while, checks out, and then he comes back when you need him or he comes back in when it's convenient for your life or when things are going well. But Paul is saying, I pray that rather your heart being Airbnbs or motels or whatever, that your hearts would be homes that grow and stretch and just get shaped more into the image of Jesus and under his lordship. In the Old Testament, we see that the heart of a person, uh, the Jewish understanding of the heart and going into the New Testament is the seat of a person. Why do you think the, the, the number one command for Israel, the greatest of all commandments, the first greatest commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Notice the command is not to know stuff about God with all your mind simply or to see the Lord your God with your eyes only reserved for a select few but to love the Lord your God with All of your heart. The primary thing that God has always been after for his people is their hearts. In fact, uh, the the new covenant promise for God's people as a result of the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 are hearts that go from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Living, beating, active hearts that are for God, that love God, that are uh, led by God, and that are ruled by God. And so when we get these hearts of flesh, it's not as though our hearts of flesh have been perfected and all of a sudden every single aspect of our lives is then submitted under the lordship of Jesus, right? No, that is in every single day process and Paul says and that's why Paul says I am praying the, the prayer that drives me to my knees the, the thing that I pray for you uh, churches here in Asia Minor the one thing that I want to pray for you more than more than anything else is that your hearts might be indwelled by Christ more and more through faith. And it's not as though Paul is saying, here's here's a number, here's five steps to have Christ dwell in your hearts more. Here's five steps to grow as a Christian, right? We're so accustomed to like, give me a book, give me a process, give me something that I can grow as a Christian. And Paul says, the way that Christ dwells in your heart through faith more and more and continues to grow is through faith. The same thing that saves us is the same thing that's going to sanctify us. We're not only saved by faith, but we're also sanctified by faith. The way that we grow, the way that we become disciples, better disciples, is not by trying harder, but by looking through faith at the one who saved us, the one who rules our hearts, the one who has saved our hearts, the one who's changed our hearts. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, uh, he he uses the analogy of, of a house, that we are like a house. Imagine yourself, he writes, a living house. Imagine your heart as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting things right and stopping the leaks and the roofs and so on. And you know that this job needs to be done. And so you're not surprised. You know, when you come to Christ, when you submit yourself to Him, there are some things that are difficult. There are some things that need to be done. There are things that need to be straightened out. There are are things that need to be revealed. There are idols that need to be unearthed, that need to be shattered, that need to be submitted to His reign. There are thoughts. There are the ways that we have just kind of been wired and ingrained in us because of our time in the kingdom of darkness, because of our time outside of Christ. We expect this. But... C.S. Lewis goes on to write, but presently he starts knocking the house in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he doing, Lewis writes? The explanation is he is building quite a different house than the one that you thought. You thought that he was going to build a quite little, nice, small cottage when in fact he's building a palace. Because he intends to live there. You see, Paul prays for the church's hearts that they might grow so that the king of kings, the one who sits in the throne room, whose robe fills the throne room, that he might also fill the throne of your heart, that his robe, his majesty, his wonder, his bigness, his transcendence, his grit, all that he is, might fill your heart, and that requires your heart to be expanded and to be more soft and to be more willing to submit to him, to be in more fellowship with him through faith. Paul writes in First Thessalonians chapter three, verses 12 through 13, "May the Lord make you increase." and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Moreover, we see the prayers of God's people similar to that of Paul's all throughout the Bible. If you look at or consider David's words in Psalm 119.32, David prays, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. And Paul Pray similar in chapter one eighteen, he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So that's Paul's prayer for the church in being Christ-centered. He prays that the heart, their hearts would be wide and deep and soft and movable and sensitive to Christ so that their hearts would be established, enlightened, and enlarged for the King of Kings and to exalt more in Jesus so as to be Christ-centered. And so we sing... Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here is my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So that's the first prayer request that Paul has for the church, is that they would be Christ-centered. That their hearts would be full of Jesus. Uh, the second prayer that Paul prays here uh, in these verses is that he prays that the church would be a growing church. Look at uh, verse 17b uh, through 19. Paul writes, "...that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints... What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul prays that the church would be a growing church. And and listen, friends, this is not a numerical growth, but a theological one. Paul is not praying that your sanctuary would be packed out to the brim and that you would have a following here um, of of your churches. He's saying that as you are rooted in, If you notice here, he's using uh, uh, um, kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, He's using rooted and grounded in love here. Uh, He's using uh, things that take time to grow, but that also have depth. He wants them to grow in their understanding of the love of Christ. He doesn't want them to necessarily grow uh, in uh, their numbers. He wants them to grow in their theology. I said a few weeks ago as I was continuing through the study, uh, that the gospel is simple, but it wasn't shallow. And this is what, in essence, Paul is writing here and what he's saying. He's saying, um, as as you're firmly rooted and grounded and firmly established in the love and the work of Jesus, I pray that you would grow in your understanding of all of that. Right, so And then he describes the love of Jesus here um, in, in ways. Uh, he says that you would know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So in other words, so that you would know what's unknowable. That you would know what is inexhaustible. That you would know that you, what you could never reach the bottom of. That you could never fully comprehend, but he's inviting the church to try to comprehend it anyway. To firmly Understand and grasp and work and live within the realm of the love of Christ. Notice, notice how the church is to understand and grasp the love of Jesus. He says in verse 18 that you may have strength to comprehend, comprehend with all the saints. In other words, to understand the love of Jesus um, is a group project. To understand that which is uh, incomprehensible to know and to grasp and to hold on to and to have a depth of understanding of that which is, surpasses knowledge? Paul says it takes the entire community of God for you to understand that. Do you want to become a theologian of the love of Jesus? Do you want to become uh, someone who is deeply acquainted with the person and work of God? Then become deeply acquainted with the people that he's redeemed. Because it is only within the context of the local church, of the people of God, that you're going to have a right understanding of the love of jesus Uh, by one of the worst i've been telling people this morning one of the worst symptoms to covid was not the aches and chills but it was the quarantine i hate being away from people um, I, desp- I love groups of people, and more than groups of people, I love being around the people who God re- has redeemed and called into his presence. I love gathering with the saints. Um, I love what we're doing right now, hearing and the preaching of the word of God. And it is through this context that I have come to know the love of Jesus at a level that seminary can't teach me about the love of Jesus. I have come to know the riches and the depth and the height and the length, the inexhaustible love of Jesus, because other people have shown me the love of Jesus. Other people have given me the grace that I haven't deserved and therefore have reflected the grace of Jesus. I have served when I don't feel like serving. I have loved and forgiven when I don't feel like the other person forgives. And because I live out my life and my discipleship within the context of the local church, I know at a more uh, full uh, and deeply understanding uh, knowledge of the love of christ i once asked a professor after class i was in a new testament class and i said hey um how do i keep from becoming stale and just kind of all heady and and kind of arrogant and 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 kind of cold you know there's this there's this quip that seminary becomes cemetery your faith goes there to die and so your love grows cold and you just become like these really grouchy calvinists that walk around and with your bibles and everybody's wrong and so i asked him i didn't want that to be i I didn't want that to be me I loved the Bible, I loved knowledge, I loved growing in my understanding, but I also wanted to be uh, warm and tender, and I wanted to know how to apply that in a way that was beneficial for the church. So I said, hey, um, how do I keep from becoming that guy? How do I become uh, from being that? And he said, keep one foot planted in seminary as you're in here, but also keep the other foot planted in the local church. And I, I loved that piece of advice and it's been helpful for me throughout my studies. But I also think it would have been better advice for him to say, keep both feet and both hands in the local church while you study and visit the seminary and continue to serve with all your being and get to know and get to love and see how you can operate within that place with all of yourself because I don't want to sometimes be here and sometimes be in the academy. I want to be all in for the people and the family of God to be with my brothers and sisters who have redeemed me. And so if you're here this morning and you have some obscure idea of the love of Jesus, let me ask you, how often do you serve and allow yourself to be served by his people? You might be here this uh, morning and you're thinking, You know, one of the benefits of being with the people of God is that even not only in the context of practically serving and being served by other people, but sometimes I just need to be in the people of God because sometimes my own heart, my own mind like to trick me and say that the love of Jesus is contingent upon how I've been the past week. And sometimes I just need to show up with all the burden and the baggage and all the stuff that I've brought in. And I just need somebody else uh, who who knows the love of Jesus, but walk with him and just to speak a word over my life right there and say, hey, to remind me that Jesus, Jesus is for you, right? Sometimes one of the greatest uh, blessings I have had has not come from me preaching over here, but it's been from stepping down afterwards and having somebody come up to me and just say something that touched a little dark corner of my heart that kind of questioned the love of God for me. And some of you know what that's like. Some of you know what it's like to come in here on Sunday morning after having a heck of a week and actually think, I don't know, everything seems to be going wrong. Everything, there's more loss, there's more confusion, there's more, like, am I loved by Jesus? And sometimes it just takes another saint to say, yeah, you're loved by Jesus. Remember what Jesus has said. Remember what he has done. It takes the body of Christ for us to know the love of Christ. And so Paul prays that they would understand and know the love of Jesus with each other, with to- together as they come and sit under the word, as they grow in holiness, as they grow in their discipleship. And then Paul says in verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, earlier in chapter one, the fullness of God is referred to the body of Christ where all his fullness dwells with his people. In Colossians, the fullness of God is a uh, reference to Christ himself where all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. So either way, we know that we, when we are in the body of Christ, active, praying, and loving, and understanding the love of Jesus, we know the fullness of Christ, the fullness of God is in that. The fullness of God is when we come together and when we delve into the inexhaustible love of Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 8, 37 through 39, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him. Notice he says, we are more than conquerors, not I through him who loved us, but we, in verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the reason why he could say neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation could separate us from the love of Jesus was because the love of Jesus is all height, is all depth, is all length, is all width. It covers absolutely everything that you have ever been through, that you are going through, that you will go through, and it's going to see you through to the other side. The reason why Paul could pray that is because he knew the depth and the length and the height and the love of Jesus. So nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. If you're in the family of God, if you're in Christ, there's nothing that can separate you from that. So the hymn writer writes, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give you back this life I owe, that in your ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. So we pray for the saints. We pray for our church that we would be a Christ-centered church. And then we also pray that we would uh, be a growing church theologically. And lastly, and I'll make this one quick. I, I told Anna before I got here uh, that I've got about two weeks worth of preaching in me. And so she, and she, and she, said, she said, "Rain it in. And I said, well, I'm going to try. So the third prayer that Paul prays for the church, and and, 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 and because he prays this, we pray this. Uh, pray that your church would be an ex- expecting church, an expectant church. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verses twenty through twenty-one. Paul wraps up his prayer with a benediction. There's no request here. There's just an expectation. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, Amen. He echoes the prayer of Jude when Jude writes in 24, chapter 1, verse 24. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. So Paul is an expects. He just because he. Because his heart is full of Christ, because he knows the love of Christ together with the people of Christ, he expects that God is going to be glorified in that group of people. And so we pray. We pray for one another. We pray that we would be an expectant church, that God would be glorified in us as we gather, as we go about our daily activities, as we we love one another, as we serve one another. You might be reading this in verse 20. You might be saying, well, Kyle, it's well and good. You know, I believe to an extent that he's able to do far more abundantly than all that I ask or think. But what about the things I have asked or thought? Because sometimes we've asked things and we've thought things and we've prayed for things and they don't seem like they've really been answered. So it's great that he can do all things that I haven't asked or thought about, but what about the ones that I have? Well, I think the answer is in verse 21. Verse 21. And then this is where we're really getting down to Paul's benediction here. Paul writes in verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Sometimes our prayers are not being answered, not because God is ignoring us as a church, as individual people in the church, but because it's making him bigger in the life of our church. It's making him bigger in the life of the church in the life of each and every single one of us they're being answered in a way that makes God, that brings him glory because Paul says he's able to do all, more, all, all abundantly more than all that we ask or think, but he also ends the prayer with to him be the glory in all the church. So everything that we ask as a, as a people, as individuals, part of that people, all of it's going to be directed towards his glory. Everything is going to shout Jesus is Lord in our lives, whether it's unanswered prayer, uh, whether it's things have not gone uh, the way that I've expected or prayed for or thought about. Um, When we consider that he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, but that is also within the context of his glory, of his uh, majesty put on display in our lives, then we're going to be able to be expectant without losing heart and becoming critical and cynical and cold and thinking there are so many things I've prayed for and so many things that I have thought, so many of those have not come to fruition. But if you're part of the family of God, if you've been adopted by the Father, redeemed by the Son, you are being kept by the Spirit, and every bit of of your life up until this point has been for the glory and majesty of God. And that's the goal. The goal is not to gain anything by coming to Christ because when we come to Him, we've already gained everything. The gain in coming to Jesus and Him is Him and Him glorified. That's the goal. So it doesn't matter. I mean, he's writing to the churches in Ephesus. The first century church was not a church of prosperity and abundance. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter the persecution. It didn't matter the losses. It didn't matter the shame or the rejection by the culture because they had Jesus and they knew because they had Jesus, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Throughout. Whatever you want, Lord, when you have hearts that are soft and movable and when you, have, uh, when you have a comprehension of the love of Jesus because of the saints um, that you dwell with, then you can live expectantly even if things haven't gone accordingly. You can live expectantly. Expectantly, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Psalm 115, verse 1. So pray for your church. Pray for the people you sit next to. Pray for the people that live near you. Pray for your household. Pray more uh, than than getting a promotion. Pray more uh, for it rather than physical healing while that is all well and good. Pray that hearts would be filled with Jesus. And pray that there would be an understanding and knowledge of the love of Jesus because of the fellowship and the communion of saints. And pray more uh, more than that for the glory of God to be displayed among his people. Live expectantly, expecting that God will be glorified in that. If you're here today and you have not surrendered your heart to Jesus by repenting and through faith, it's really difficult uh, for him to make his home in that place. So I just offer an invitation if your heart is hardened, if your heart is not a place where Christ rules, where He reigns, then it can be today by simple repentance and faith in Him. That's all there is to it. I wish it was more complicated. I, w- I wish, some, not wish, but uh, there, there, it's, it's not complicated. It is a simple act of repentance, of saying, I am wrong. I do not know how to rule my life. I do not know what's best. I do not know what's good. But Jesus, you do, and you've earned it all for me. Today can be the day when you're born again into the family of God and grow into the gift of Christ's love for you. So would you pray with me as we conclude our time together here? Father, I pray for each and every single one of us that our hearts would be full. uh, That our understanding of the love of Jesus would go beyond textbooks, go beyond words. And it would reach into the very way of our life as we commune with one another. May we become theologians, not because we know all the answers, but because we know the saints. And Father, I pray also along with Paul in your word that we would live expecting your glory to be manifested among us despite what we see, despite losses, despite joys, despite culture. May we live expecting the King to be glorified. And we pray all these in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, You can find us online at FCCSOBO.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.